Today is Friday, October 19th, 2018. This is message one of a weekend conference with Brother Ed Marks. The general subject of the conference is enjoying the riches of Christ for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. The title for message one is The Lord's Desire for Us to Enjoy Him for the Building Up of the Church as the Body of Christ. Scripture verses start in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. The book of Psalms, chapter 27, verse 4. Chapter 36, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 43, verse 4. And chapter 51, verse 12. Then to Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10. Then Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16. And finally, Philippians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Joy sing life, right? <laughs> I was trying to think of something to substitute. But anyway, God is, God is training us to enjoy Him. He's training us to enjoy Him. Don't think, oh, this is something I know, I've heard this. Uh, listen, the content of the church life depends upon the enjoyment of Christ. The more we enjoy Him, the richer the content will be. But we, we've seen, and we'll talk about this a little later, that for us to enjoy Him requires us to love Him with the first love. We don't love Him with the first love, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we won't have the enjoyment of Christ that we should have. And as a consequence, the Lord can remove the lampstand from us. So we need to give ourselves every day to enjoy the Lord for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. Now, uh, I would just say this, and this is our experience. You know, to enjoy the Lord solves all the problems in the church life. It solves all your problems. If you have a problem, you need to enjoy the Lord. And the enjoyment of Christ solves all the problems in the church life through the work of the cross. We see this in the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul's goal in writing 1 Corinthians was to bring his people, was to bring the saints in Corinth back to the enjoyment of Christ. Now the saints in Corinth, if you read closely, especially the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3, you can see that the saints in Corinth were, were fleshly, they were fleshy, that's really bad when you're fleshy, Right? And uh, they were soulish, which means they were dominated by their flesh. They were governed by their flesh. They were dominated by their soul. They were governed by their soul. But Paul wrote them so that they would aspire to the growth in life to be spiritual men. To be spiritual men. That means they, he wanted them to become people who exercised their spirit. Who were dominated by their spirit, governed by their spirit, led by their spirit, controlled by their spirit, and touched the Lord with their spirit constantly, constantly. So this was the Lord's burden in 1 Corinthians through our brother Paul, through our brother Paul. Now it always amazes me, and I've shared this many times before, that God put man in a garden called Eden. And uh, I should actually make a frameable quote out of this. Uh, this is from the ministry but this is actually a sentence in the, in the Genesis Life Study. It says, God wants to make you happy. Amen. 
God wants to make you happy. And you know, you can tell if someone's happy or not. Uh, It's hard to fake being happy. Especially when I'm up here sharing, I could tell if someone's happy or not. You know, uh, I try to look for the happy faces. (laughs) Okay. But anyway, we should all be happy. To be happy doesn't mean you can go up to someone and say, cheer up, Brother Ed. That doesn't make me happy. What makes me happy is the presence of God. The presence of God is what makes us happy. And Eden means pleasure. That's what the name Eden means. You put man in a garden named pleasure. Eden means pleasure. That means God wants to be our pleasure. God wants to be our joy. God wants to be our entertainment. God wants to be our satisfaction. And God wants to be our happiness. Isn't that wonderful? So on a Friday night, God wants to be your happiness. Now, I found something I was sharing with the brothers before the meeting that that Augustine said. You know, Augustine or Augustine, however you pronounced it, he lived from 354 A.D. to 430 A.D. He was one of the early church fathers. And he said this. He said, we all need a beatific vision. You may wonder, what is that, a beatific vision? Well, literally, a beatific vision is the seeing that makes us happy. The seeing that makes us happy. That means seeing God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if you come here and your aim is only Christ himself, then you're pure in heart, you just want Christ, you just desire Christ, he is your aim, he is your goal, uh, then you will see God. And that seeing of God is a beatific vision. It's a vision that makes you happy. Here's something else that he said. He said, enjoying God is the only thing that can make us ultimately happy. So you can't be ultimately happy if you don't enjoy God. We have to be those who enjoy God. And remember, saints, that... uh, In Philippians 3.14, always remember this, where Paul said, I pursue toward the goal for the prize to which God in Christ Jesus has called me upward. That the goal there, that our goal, is the fullest enjoyment and gaining of Christ. That's our goal every day. Every day, we want the fullest enjoyment of Christ. Every day, we want the fullest gaining of Christ. Every meeting, we want the fullest enjoyment of Christ. We don't want to miss the enjoyment of Christ tonight, right? We don't want to come here and just talk about the enjoyment of Christ. We want to enjoy the Lord tonight. So eventually it's for the prize, and the prize is the uttermost enjoyment of Christ in the millennial kingdom. So you enjoy the Lord in this age, and then you get tons and tons and tons of enjoyment in the next age. You get the uttermost enjoyment of Christ in the next age. That is our prize. Now, we we talked a little bit about the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. And our brother pointed out that to know this epistle, Revelation 2, 1 through 7, you need to remember four L's, the letter L, four L's. And these four L's are love, Life, 
light, and lampstand. Love, life, light, and lampstand. You have the Lord as your first love. That's the, that's the first thing. We need to give ourselves to love the Lord, right? How many in here love the Lord? Amen. Me too. Praise the Lord. And our love for the Lord should be fresh, should be new, should be vital, should be up to date. So we love the Lord, and that love for the Lord becomes our enjoyment of the Lord, right? So we love the Lord, and we enjoy Him as life, as the tree of life, right? He becomes our enjoyment. That's love, life. Then when you enjoy Him as life, that life becomes the light of life. You become a person who's full of light. And when you put together a group of people standing on the ground among us who are full of light, they become the lampstand in that city, shining forth the triune God in this dark age, right? And so uh, just remember these four words, love, life, light, and lampstand. Love, life, light, and lampstand. And to have the Lord as our first love, some people say that to have the Lord as our first love is to have the Lord as our love when we first got saved. Now that's not, we wouldn't say that that's wrong to say that. And uh, even many of us can remember maybe when we first came in the church life or when we first got saved, how much we loved the Lord and how much everything was, I think we have a hymn in our hymnal, the, the grass is greener, the sky is bluer, you know, when you love the Lord, everything comes alive to you, you know. Uh, so we wouldn't say that's wrong. But actually speaking, the most accurate definition of the first love is to give the Lord the preeminence in all things, to give him the first place in all things, which is to make him everything in our life, everything in our life. We take him as everything. He's everything to us. That's for him to have the preeminence in our life. So that's the first love. And then out of the first love, uh, we do the first works. Uh, the Lord said through, through the Apostle John, he said, I have something against you. You've left your first love. And then he said, unless you repent and do the first works, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from your midst. Now, what are the first works? The first works are works that issue out of our first love for the Lord. Because we love the Lord to the uttermost, we just, we just want to serve him. Spontaneously, we want to preach the gospel. We want to, uh, you know, when we were walking here to the meeting, I noticed the hedges. I don't know who cuts the hedges. I don't want to glorify them, but uh, we noticed the hedges being cut. I have a good idea about who cuts the hedges. But anyway, I, I noticed the hedges. I said, look at that. Isn't that a beautiful testimony? Now, why did that brother or brothers cut those hedges? Because they, they were enjoying the Lord as their first love. And that came out of their first love for the Lord, their first love for the Lord. So all the things we do for the Lord should come out of our first love for the Lord. Now, the last thing I want to say before we read the outline is, uh, you know, this was a prayer for me for this weekend. In Acts 3, uh, in Acts 3, 19 through 20, Paul, um, not, not Paul, Peter was giving a message this was right after they healed that lame man who was sitting at the gate of the temple. And Peter said, look at us. It was so striking. He said, look at us. He said, silver and gold, I don't have, I don't have silver and gold. But what I have, I give to you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And he grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up. You know, Peter was strong, right? It shows he was physically strong. So he pulled him up, and the man just began to walk. And it says he was walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody just, uh, you know, just wanted to see this. So Peter took this as an opportunity to give a message, give a message. And I'll just give you two, Acts 3, 19 through 20. Uh, I really like these verses. He said, repent and turn. We all need to repent and turn. What does it mean to repent? Actually, to repent means to turn away from everything other than God to God himself. So Peter uh, made sure that they would turn. So he said, repent and turn, that your sins may be wiped away and that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I just pray that this whole weekend, now, strictly speaking, you can say this applies to the millennial kingdom, but we have a foretaste of the millennial kingdom today. And so we need to pray that this weekend would be seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. When you have the presence of the Lord, you have seasons of refreshing. You look at the note on this verse in the recovery version, it says, that refreshing can also be translated as cooling, C-O-O-L-I-N-G, or reviving. So we need seasons of cooling from the presence of the Lord. We need seasons of reviving from the presence of the Lord. We need seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Okay, now I'd like to come to the outline. Now don't worry, I know this outline is long, but we will get through it in plenty of time. Uh, I'll just read a lot of the points. The points speak for themselves. Uh, I loved this so much, it was hard for me to cut things out. So I just, uh, you know, this is what came out. So, okay, let's come to Roman number one. The Lord humbled himself to be our enjoyment. He became the same as we are, that we might enjoy him to become the same as he is. That's why he became a man. He became the same as we are, that we might become the same as he is. And uh, I don't have this verse on here, or this reference on here, but if again, if you look in the recovery version, praise the Lord for the recovery version, uh, you have the book Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, the name Habakkuk, means embracing or clinging to. Embracing or clinging to. What this means is this. God became a man to embrace sinners so that sinners might cling to him. He became a man to embrace us so that we might cling to him and become the same as he is in life and nature but not in the Godhead. So, uh, anyway, this is, this is what... Uh, what Habakkuk means, which I think is very meaningful. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Him who did not know sin, he made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he became what we are, which was sin on the cross, that we might become what he is, which is the righteousness of God. It's really, really marvelous. Now A says, While he is high and lofty, 
the Lord of glory and holiness, he also loves, oh, he loves to dispense himself into us. And he wants us to draw near to him. He has made himself available to us for our enjoyment so that we can receive him, gain him, and experience him as our everything. Unlike Psalm 43, 4, it says, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. God is our exceeding joy. And then, uh, of course, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty five. it says, The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. You can also say the last Adam became a life-dispensing spirit. That's what he's doing. He's dispensing himself as life into our being. Okay, now B says, the romance in Song of Songs portrays the process through which the seeker of Christ passes in order to become the Shulamite, a duplication of Solomon, and a figure of the New Jerusalem. Now, I've got, I've got reference to your footnote one in the recovery version. Uh, I won't read this to you. You can read this when you get home. I want to save time here. But the footnote here is marvelous. You know, the Lord... Uh, he became a country man so that he could reach Solomon, I would say. He wanted to reach this country girl. If he came to her in all his splendor, she would run away. But he became a country man, quote, quote, a country man, so he could reach this country girl and make her his queen. The church is the queen of Christ. The church is the queen of Christ. You can see this in Psalm 45. The church is Christ's queen. And he is our king. And we are, we are in a, a, a betrothal relationship with him. Now, Song of Songs 1.1, of course, I love how this verse begins because Ecclesiastes begins with, the, the book before it, begins with vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And you can translate that vapor of vapors, or futility of futilities, or emptiness of emptinesses. Everything in the world is vapor of vapors, vanity of vanities, emptiness of emptinesses. You know, you've heard me share this before. Right before I got saved, I, right after college, I got a job with an oil company in Houston. And I remember... Uh, I worked on the 20th floor, and I would go to work, I would get on the elevator, go up to the 20th floor, get off the elevator, go to my cubicle, and then at the end of the day, get back on the elevator, go home, eat, uh, go to sleep, come back, go on the elevator, go up to the 20th floor, go to my cubicle, come back, go down, eat, go to sleep, do the same thing. And then I said, my life's over. What is this? What is it? You know, a lot of people might have said, this young man is going up in the world. He works on the 20th floor. But to my feeling, this was emptiness of emptinesses. The spirit was brooding over me, you know, to bring me to salvation. And I said, my goodness, this is the end of my life. What am I doing? So in Ecclesiastes 1.14, uh, the Lord through Solomon says, all is vanity and a chasing after wind. A chasing after wind. Whereas you come to the next, the next book, 
which is a romance between the Lord and us. And I'd like to ask you, this is just a, a, a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer this. But how is your romance with the Lord? How's your romance with the Lord? Is, is your romance fresh? Is it new? Is it living? Uh, <laughs> if it is, you are in the song of songs. That's what your life is, the song of songs. The song of songs. Eventually, by living in the song of songs, uh, the seeker becomes the Shulamite, which is the female form of Solomon. She becomes Solomon's duplication, Solomon's reproduction, and Solomon's counterpart. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral two. The Lord is our life for our enjoyment. He's our life for our enjoyment. Of course, we know that the Lord planted a garden in Eden, and he put the man into this garden, and he caused every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, as well as the tree of life in the middle of the garden. I'll just stop there. It says, good for food, the tree of life. That means our God in Christ, as the Spirit, is good for food. Amen. He is good for food. We have a hymn in our hymnal that says, God is good for food. And I remember singing that when I first came into church life, and I, I just, it was hard for me to get through those words. God is good for food. I said to myself, I said, Lord, I know these people love you, but this is maybe a little bit too much. God is good for food. But it's not too much. It's scriptural. Say that God is good for food. Right, that's Genesis 2, 7 through 9. Of course, in Revelation twenty two fourteen, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. Saints, have you washed your robes in the blood of Jesus tonight? Well, you should be happy. Blessed means happy. Happy are those who wash their robes. That they may have right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city into the city. Of course, in John 10.10, the Lord, in talking about the enemy, he says, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. We need to realize that the enemy, he wants to steal your enjoyment of Christ. He wants to kill your enjoyment of Christ. Uh, uh, He wants to destroy your enjoyment of Christ. But the Lord came that we might have life, which is Zoe, the divine, eternal, uncreated life of God. That we might have life and might have it abundantly. Now A says, the life of God is the life of Christ, and the life of Christ has become our life. Colossians 3, 4 says, Christ our life. One says, for Christ to be our life means that he is subjective to us to the uttermost. In Romans 8.10, it says, since Christ is in us, our spirit is life. Praise the Lord, no matter how we feel tonight. I know it's Friday night, some of us are tired. But praise the Lord, one-third of our being is Zoe. One-third of our being is life. Now, if we set our mind on our spirit, our mind becomes life. That's just phenomenal that your mind can become Zoe. The mindset on the spirit is Zoe. Then if you allow the spirit to indwell you, it says if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead uh, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give Zoe to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who indwells you. So, of course, that will happen at our rapture, fully happen at our rapture, where 2 Corinthians 5, 4 says, uh, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. But we get a foretaste of this today. Even you come to the meetings, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get to the meeting, I feel like, just, I feel like Joseph said, just take my bones into the good land. You know what I mean? Just get my bones in the chair. If my bones are in the chair, I have a chance of getting Zoe. Right? So we get a foretaste of this where he gives Zoe to our mortal bodies in the meeting life. Now, two says, with Christ as the believer's life, there are three characteristics that distinguish it from the natural life. So these are very precious here. A says this life is a crucified life. So when you enjoy this life, you get crucified. Yourself gets crucified. Your flesh gets crucified. Uh, Satan gets dealt with. Sin gets dealt with. The world gets dealt with. This life is a crucified life. And B says this life is a resurrected life. And death cannot hold the resurrection life. And C says, this life is a life hidden in God. Now we've got Matthew 6, 1 through 6 on here. This life is a life hidden in God. I'll just read portions of this. It says, when you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Can you imagine if someone were, had the burden to, to give? I don't, where are the offering boxes, Bill? Where are they? In here. There's one back here behind the pillar. Wow, it's so hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, right? It's so hidden. It should be that way. It should be that way. But can you imagine if, if Bill went to offer something and we all blew trumpets? Said, look, Bill Rafter. Well, if we did, <laughs> if we did that, then Bill would be glorified by men. And that would be his reward. He would be glorified by men. He says, but when you give alms, do not let your, le- let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Now, I love Matthew 6, 6-6. Uh, six, six. It says this. It says this, but you, don't be like the hypocrites when they pray, but you, when you pray, Enter into your private room. It has the word private there. Enter into your private room and pray to your father and shut your door. I'm sorry, skip that. Enter into your private room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. Then later on it says, when you fast, you should anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So you got this, these words private and in secret. It's really, really big in our experience with the Lord to do things privately and in secret, because he sees in secret. He sees in secret, and it says your Father who is in secret. Not only does he see in secret, he is in secret. So we need to be do, do things in the Lord in secret. Now B says that Christ as our life is a strong indication that we are to take him as life and live by him, that we are to live him in our daily life. 
One says Christ must be our life in a practical and experiential way. Day by day, we need to be saved in his life, which is to reign in the divine life. And to reign in the divine life is to reign over Satan, sin, and death. It's not to reign over your spouse, to reign over your roommate. It's to reign over Satan, to reign over sin, and to reign over death. Now, two says the new man is the spontaneous issue of our taking Christ as our life and living him. And I know we all should love Colossians 3, 10, and 11, where it talks about the new man, talks about the put on the new man. It says, where there cannot be, where there cannot be. You can translate that, where there's no possibility for, where there's no room for. There cannot be Greek and Jew. There cannot be circumcision and uncircumcision. There cannot be barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. But Christ is all and in all. So there cannot be any nationality, any natural man. There's no, there's no red in the new man. There's no, there's no yellow in the new man. There's no white in the new man. There's no black in the new man. Christ is all the members and in all the members. Isn't that wonderful? And we, saints, we are in the new man. The church is the new man. Now C says, as we go on to maturity in our Christian life, we progress from the joy of salvation. And wasn't the joy of salvation tremendous to us? It was tremendous. We go on from the joy of salvation to the joy of the church. And then we went on from the joy of salvation, then we came into church life, we had the joy of the church. That's, a, that's even a higher joy. Then we have the joy of the body. The body is the reality of the church. So when you, when you enter into the body life, you have the joy of the body. But the supreme joy, it says, and finally, the supreme, I'm, use, I'm using this term, the supreme joy is the joy of the one new man. The joy of the one new man. So let's Enjoy the Lord in the one new man. In the one new man, which is the church. Which is the church. I just like that phrase, the joy of the one new man. That is just awesome. And saints, uh, I would say this. uh, The more you visit, the more you visit the churches, the more you'll see the more you'll see, the more, you, like when I come here to Spokane, I see more. I see more. Uh, that's just my experience, just from visiting the church here. And, of course, in Ezekiel 1, 15 through 21, you have this uh, picture of a wheel within a wheel. A wheel within a wheel. You can only understand these things by reading the life study of Ezekiel. A wheel within a wheel. And the rim of, those, the rim of that outer wheel is full of eyes, full of eyes, which means that the more you move in the Lord's move, that wheel within the wheel signifies the Lord's move. The more you move in the Lord's move, the more you will see. The more you will see. I still remember not long ago, uh, four of us brothers, we went to visit uh, some of the brothers in Taipei. I think there was a little, little over 20 of the main co-workers in Taipei. We went to vi- just to visit them. We didn't have any agenda. We went to visit them. And you just got full of sight just by visiting the brothers in Taiwan. 
And it was like that in Ethiopia. Uh, how long ago was Ethiopia, by the way? Two weeks, two weeks ago. I was in Japan before that, so. Okay. Uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we were in Ethiopia. I never dreamed I would be in Africa one day. And I would be in Ethiopia, and I would be in the capital of Ethiopia, which is Addis Ababa. I want to say that because I forgot that when I stood up in Addis Ababa. <laughs> I was so tired. I said, where am I? Where am I? <laughs> but the more, you, the more you travel, the more you get full of eyes. Uh, and I'm not saying that we, we need to necessarily need to travel long distances to see more. But it's good to visit the churches. It's good to come to the meetings. You'll get full of eyes, right? You're traveling with the Lord to the meeting. And you get full of eyes. Okay, D says, when Christ as the infinite God enters into us and becomes the highest life within us, we become persons of an infinitely high standard. Of an infinitely high standard. It says in Luke 6.35, it says we will be sons of the Most High. Isn't that wonderful? I love that term, sons of the Most High. The Most High is our Father. That means we are beings. That means we are most high beings. Most high beings. Okay, one says, we possess a nobleness and a holiness that no mere human being possesses. This is true. Whether you feel that way or not, it's true. You possess a nobleness. You possess a holiness that no mere human being possesses. Christ is our nobility, Christ is our holiness. And we possess Christ is our nobility, and Christ is our holiness. You know, I love when the Lord uh, comes to Daniel, actually through Gabriel probably, and he says, oh man of preciousness. He says this twice, oh man of preciousness. Some translations say, say oh man greatly beloved. Our translation says, oh, man of preciousness. Then one verse says, you are preciousness itself. And wouldn't you like the Lord to say that about you? You are preciousness itself to me. And we need to pray, Lord, I want to be preciousness itself to you, Lord. Now, two says, a person with Christ as life is a high person, an unlimited person. He has the highest life, which is the immeasurably high God himself. 3 says, because Christ as the spirit of life is the holy breath, he is available to us for our enjoyment wherever we are and no matter what the time. Our calling upon him is our spiritual breathing. Our calling upon him is our spiritual breathing. That comes from Lamentations 3, 55 and 56. If you feel like the title of your biography is Lamentations... You need to read these two verses. He says, I called upon your name, O Jehovah, out of the lowest pit. Don't hide your ear at my breathing, at my cry. So our calling upon him is our spiritual breathing, our spiritual breathing. Now, Roman numeral three, the Lord is our husband for our enjoyment, our husband for our enjoyment. A says, the Bible begins and ends with life. 
The second thing spoken of after life is marriage, is marriage. You know, you know what? There's this brother in England named Paul Cook. He's a lovely brother. And he got with the brothers from Ethiopia. And, of course, they're all seeking brothers. They all were just out of college. And they said, Brother Paul, do you have any fellowship with it for us? You know, and they thought he'd share on the high peak of the divine revelation. He said, are you married? Are you married? Are you married? They were so hyper-spiritual that none of them was married. And so Paul says, you need to get married. You need to get married. You need to get married. And so they all got married. Now there's lots of children in the church right there. It was practical fellowship. So the second thing spoken of after life is marriage. Just as Adam married Eve, Christ is the Lamb of God, marries his redeemed people. So what is the New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem is a person. I'd like to say that again. The New Jerusalem is a person. The New Jerusalem is the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The New Jerusalem, you could say, is a great God-man, composed of God dwelling in man, and man dwelling in God. God is our home, our abode. We are his home, his abode, his abode. Now B says, the Lamb of God is the bridegroom who is making us his bride, who is making us his bride. Of course, the way he makes us his bride, strictly speaking, you know, there's many ways he makes us his bride. I like what John the Baptist said, when he says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom, which was himself, who stands and hears him, rejoices with joy because of the bridegroom's voice. Saints, when you hear the Lord as the bridegroom speaking to you, you rejoice with joy. Amen. Am I right? Then he says, this joy of mine, therefore, is made full. But in Ephesians 5, which we've talked a lot about here, Ephesians 5.26 is the practical way that the Lord uh, beautifies us to become his bride. It says that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. Firstly, in verse 25, he loved the church and gave himself up for the church. That's in the past. In verse 27, that's in the future. It says that he may present the church to himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But in the present, it's that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water and the word. So you have Christ as our Redeemer in the past, Christ as the life-giving Spirit in the present, and Christ as our Bridegroom in the future. And we're in the present, so Christ is the life-giving Spirit to us, and the way he's the life-giving Spirit to us is by cleansing us by the washing of the water in the word. And the Greek word for word there is rhema, which logos is the constant word, logos is the written word, whereas rhema is God's instant word. It's God's spoken word. It's God's word with your name on it. God's word with your name on it. That is what rhema is. So we need the Lord to speak to us personally then he's, and corporately, then he will sanctify us he will beautify us more to be his bride, to be his bride. 
Now, see, says, our being joined to the Lord is the same as a wife being joined to her husband, being joined to her husband. Of course, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, he was joined to the Lord, is one spirit. So our marriage union, it takes place in our spirit. We are joined to the Lord, so we are one spirit. We are one spirit. And then Isaiah 54, 5 says, your maker is your husband. Jehovah of hosts is his name. Your maker is your husband. Isaiah 62, verse 5 says, For as a young man marries a virgin, your sons will marry you. And with the joy of the bridegroom over the bride, your God will rejoice over you. Your God will rejoice over you. In 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Paul said, I am jealous over you with a jealousy of God, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, this is the way we can tell if the ministry we're under is the New Testament ministry. The genuine New Testament ministry stirs us up to love the Lord Jesus. It it presents us as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul said in verse 3, he says, But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that the enemy would deceive you and distract you from the simplicity and purity toward Christ. You see, Christ is very deep, very rich, very awesome. But the experience of Christ is very simple, right, and, and, and very pure. And so this is why we need to say, Lord Jesus, I love you every day. We don't graduate from this, right? And we need to tell the Lord that we love him. The more we tell the Lord that we love him, the more we enjoy him. That brings us to D. Since Christ is our husband, we need to give ourselves to love him. Give ourselves to love him. No other way is so prevailing. Just like even in in married life, uh, your wife should give herself to love you. Right, Eric? If you said, I love you, and she said, same to you, that wouldn't be so good, right? And she should say, I love you too, right? (laughs) Okay. But since Christ is our husband, we need to give ourselves to love him. Do you love him? No other way is so prevailing, so safe, so rich, and so full of enjoyment. When we love him, he is our satisfaction. We are his satisfaction, and we cooperate with him in his heavenly ministry to feed and shepherd his people. When you love the Lord... You have an intrinsic desire, which is his desire in his heavenly ministry, to feed his people and to shepherd his people and to shepherd his people. Um, You know, there's there's one book, trying to remember the name of it. It might be a Tomley trumpeting in the Lord's present move where Brother Lee points out that we we need to maintain our overcoming life with the Lord. And the way to have an overcoming life with the Lord is to live a life of morning revival and a life of shepherding people. And if you're going to shepherd people and feed people, you need to love the Lord. Your love for the Lord needs to be current, fresh, vital, where, you, where he has the preeminence in your being. Then you can shepherd people. Then you can feed people. In John 14, 21, the Lord says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, His commandments are his instant words to us. 
He is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, it's one thing for the Lord to live in you. It's another thing for the Lord to manifest himself to you. We want the Lord's manifestation. And in John 14, 23, the Lord says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make an abode with him. That's a mutual abode where the Father and the Son dwell in us, and we dwell in the Father and the Son. And we do this by the Spirit, by the Spirit. Now, of course, in John 21, 15 through 17, the Lord was restoring uh, Peter's love for him. I, I really treasure this portion of the word very much, because in the past, we thought this was merely an appendix to the Gospel of John. John 20 is actually the ending, and then you have an appendix. But this is more than an appendix, because shepherding is the key to the whole Gospel of John. What was the Lord doing in the whole Gospel of John? He was shepherding and feeding people. You just consider John 3 through 11, John 12, uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. He was feeding people. He was shepherding people. And this is what he's doing in his heavenly ministry. In Hebrews 13, 20, it says, The God of peace, he who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So in his heavenly ministry, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And in 1 Peter 2, 25, it says, You have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So when he shepherds you, he cares for your soul, your mind, emotion, and will. He cares for the condition of your real person. Your real person, your personality is in your mind, emotion, and will. So he shepherds your soul. Sometimes we need to pray, Lord, shepherd me today. Shepherd my spirit to contact you. Shepherd my soul to express you and enjoy you. And shepherd my body to glorify you and magnify you. We, we need shepherding in all three parts of our being. Well, in John 21, we have this marvelous portion uh, about shepherding, how the Lord shepherded specifically Peter, but also all the disciples. Of course, Peter said, Peter was so disappointed that he had denied the Lord three times. He said, I'm going to go fishing. The other ones with him said, well, we're going to go fishing with you. And then uh, they fished all night. They, they couldn't catch anything. And then the Lord was on the shore. They didn't know it was the Lord. He said, children, do you have any fish? They said, no. You know, they were about 100 yards away. That's a long ways. So, I mean, you know, for you to say, children, they, he would have had to say, children, do you have any fish? They said, no. And then, then he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And it, it was full of fish. How many fish were there? Can someone tell me 100 and what? 153? 153 fish. Those were not minnows. Those were big fish, right? 153 fish. And I like what John said to Peter. He looked at Peter and he said, it's the Lord. Amen. It's the Lord. So Peter threw off his tunic and he just swam to shore, swam to shore. And the Lord shepherded him. And the Lord, what it was amazing was, the Lord says, come and have breakfast. That's what he said. Come. Listen, that's a good way to shepherd people. Make breakfast for them. Be practical. Come and have breakfast. 
I really mean it. Come and have breakfast. You know, one time the Lord touched me. We had two brothers staying with us. And the Lord touched me inwardly while I was spending time with the Lord. You need to cook breakfast for these brothers. And I said, Lord, you know, Ruthie was working. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to cook. He said, you can cook steak and eggs, can't you? I said, yeah, anybody can do that. So I went to the grocery store. I got steak and eggs. And the brothers who I cooked that for never forgot that. We had steak and eggs for breakfast from Brother Ed. (laughs) Actually, it was the Lord. It was the Lord who told me to do that. Okay, so three times the Lord asked Peter. Three times he denied him. Three times the Lord asked Peter. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than these disciples? Because Simon said, even if all these disciples turn away from you, I'll never turn away from you. So he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And uh, then he asked him again if he loved him. And then he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Then the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Saints, we need to love the Lord. We need to feed his lambs. We need to shepherd his sheep. And we need to feed his sheep. No matter how low you think you are, there's always someone lower than you. Lower than you that you could shepherd, right? And the best way to get shepherded is to shepherd others, right? That's our experience. When you shepherd others, when you go to feed others, you find out how short you are, too. They ask you a question, uh, what's the church life? Well, what does that mean when you say the church life? The church life. Remember I shared that my testimony, I was a brand new one, and I brought another newer one with me to the meeting. And that newer one asked me, what's the church life? I said, my goodness, I don't know what the church life is. So I remembered that song. I said, you know, the church life is eating, drinking, and breathing Jesus. And the new one, the new one said, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But after I got done with that answer, I said, boy, I better get into the ministry and find out what the church life is a lot more than that, right? So anyway, we need to, we need to, We need to shepherd people and feed people, which is the first works. It's the issue of our first love toward the Lord. It's the issue of our first love toward the Lord. Now, Roman numeral 4 says, The Lord is our food and drink for our enjoyment. A says, Christ is the reality of the manna that came down out of heaven to feed his chosen people. I love this. I mean, you can imagine when the Lord said this, how shocked the people were in John 6. He said some shocking things there. I won't get into all the shocking things, but this is one of the shocking things. He was the reality of the manna that came down out of heaven. Now, I was enjoyed, you know, in in Southern California, you have a weather report. You know, the strips of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it's always sun, 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 sun. And so when I first moved there, I really missed the rain and the clouds, you know. And, uh, but the weather report for the children of Israel was manna, 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 manna. It rained manna. Every day it rained manna. And it says, and I'll go on, it says, He is the bread of life and the living bread that came down out of heaven 
for us to eat him and live because of him. And it says, when the children of Israel saw it, when they saw this manna, uh, it was like dew on the ground, and they saw it, and they said, what is it? What is it? And the, the Hebrew word for manna, the, the root of the Hebrew word for manna, means what is it? And that's who Christ is. Christ is what is it? What is this? What is this? People look at you, you're living Christ, you're enjoying Christ, you're eating Christ, you're shepherding people. They say, what is this? What is this? What is it? He's a mystery. And he makes you a mystery by your eating of him. Okay, in John 6, 31 through 35, he said he's the, he's the true bread out of heaven. He's the bread of God. And he's the bread of life. The bread of life. In John 6, 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. I like this. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. He shall live forever. You know, recently, uh, uh, my wife's been caring for this, uh, uh, how do I say it? My third son has Down syndrome. He has a friend who, who is disabled also. And so Ruthie's been caring for, for him also and uh, on the weekends. And right now, it looks like he's going to pass away. Uh, she took him to an event, and he's, he calls her Joey's mom. He didn't call her Mrs. Mrs. Mork. He says, Joey's mom. And he, he says, take my hand in this event. Take my hand. Ruth is wondering, what is he doing? Take my hand. He said, let's pray. Let's pray. And so they prayed together. Lord, may we, I, I forget, a simple prayer, right? That was so sweet to me. So sweet. But now he's going to be with the Lord. And, and uh, you know, Ruth, I was considering, what are we going to say to Joey? You know what I mean? We could say a lot of things to Joey. But one thing I want to say is this. Joey, this, this person is going to live forever. He's going to live forever. He, because he ate the living bread which came down out of heaven. He's going to live forever. We will not die. We will live forever. And then he says this. He says, and we know John six fifty seven as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. So when we eat the Lord, we live because of the Lord, which means he becomes the basic element essence and factor of our living, of our living. We live because of him. And I like John 6, 63, if the disciples who left had, had, had stayed around, uh, they would have heard an explanation of what the Lord was talking about. He said, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So it's the spirit who gives life. And the words that he speaks to us are spirit and zoe, spirit and life. Now, B says, uh, the spiritual rock in the wilderness typifies Christ, who was smitten and cleft by God to flow out the water of life to satisfy the thirst of his believers. Now, brothers and sisters, I can't explain this, but in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians, 
Paul said they drank of a spiritual rock that followed them. He didn't say that rock typifies Christ. He said that rock was Christ. Can you imagine that? It's just amazing to me. Amazing. It says the living water that flowed out of the cleft rock typifies the spirit who flowed out of the crucified and resurrected Christ as our all-inclusive drink. Now, Christ was cleft on the cross so we could drink of him as a spirit. Now we need to speak to him. In in Numbers 20, verse 8, the Lord told Moses, Speak to the rock, and the waters will flow. Which means one of the best ways to enjoy the divine dispensing is to speak to the Lord, is to talk to the Lord. We need to learn to talk to the Lord. We need to help our young people talk to the Lord. Because he's many things to us. He's our husband. He's our brother, he's our advocate, and he's our friend. He's our best friend. And, he's, and when we talk to him, the waters gush out of his being into our inner being. Now, C says, at the Lord's table, the Lord said concerning the bread, take, eat, this is my body. Then concerning the cup, he also said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. One says, the Lord seemingly was saying, you must take me into, your, into you as your enjoyment. The real remembrance of me is the enjoyment of me. Two said, he seemingly said, when you allow me to be your food and drink, you are remembering me. I long to enter into you to be everything to you. Now we've got Psalm 36, 8, and 9 here, which shows that God is triune for our enjoyment. Why is God triune? He's not triune for doctrinal study and debate. He's triune for our enjoyment. So this, these verses say they are saturated with the fatness of your house, and you cause them to drink of the river of your pleasures. That word pleasures is the plural Hebrew word for Eden, the river of your Edens, the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light we see light. In this verse, we see, in these verses, we see the triune God. The Father is the fountain of life and light. The Son is the fatness of God's house, because the Hebrew word for fatness there means the fatty ashes of the sacrifices which Christ is the unique sacrifice in the New Testament to replace and be the reality of all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. So he is the fatness of God's house with which we're saturated. And the river of God's pleasures, which we drink of, this is the Spirit. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in these verses for our enjoyment. Now, Roman number 5 says, The Lord is our habitation for our enjoyment. A says, O Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Let's read this next phrase together. Now, that is quite a statement, the highest and fullest experience of God. I mean, just to pray a simple prayer. Lord, I take you as my dwelling place today. I want to abide in you. That will be the highest and fullest experience of God that you can have. Then B is a marvelous verse, Psalm 91.1. says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High 
will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, there's two ways we can interpret this. We can interpret this by, by saying that secret place and the Most High are in apposition. In other words, the Most High is our secret place. But also we can interpret this place. The secret place of the Most High is our spirit. Is our spirit. When we are in our spirit, we are in a secret place of the Most High. Of the Most High. You know, there's a ladder in our spirit. Right? Our spirit is today's Bethel. According to Genesis 28, that ladder brings heaven to earth and joins earth to heaven. So our, our spirit is the real Bethel, the real secret place of the Most High, where he dispenses himself into our being so that we become the same as he is. Now, C says, we are the Lord's habitation, and he is our habitation. Therefore, the Bible says that we abide in him, and he abides in us. D says, when we abide in him, we enjoy all that he is. When he abides in us, he enjoys all that we are. Roman numeral 6 says, the Lord is our light of life for our enjoyment. A says, I am the light of the world. What a statement for a man to make. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall by no means walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Then 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This means that apart from him or severed from him, we are in darkness. Light, this is a good definition of light. Light is the presence of God. Always remember that. If you're in the presence of God, you're in the light. Light is the presence of God. Now, um, this is wonderful, this next part here. The Lord is our strength, our love, our joy, our comfort, and guidance for our enjoyment. Isn't that wonderful? Do you need strength? The Lord is your strength. Do you need strength right now? <laughs> the Lord is your strength. <laughs> the Lord is your love. He's your joy, your comfort, and your guidance, right? You know, in Psalm 18, uh, this is a psalm of David, and uh, I love this, this note on this verse, just the one sentence. It said, Psalm 18 is a human talk with the divine God, implying David's intimacy with God. We need human talks with our divine God. That will imply our intimacy with God. So we have these verses on here from Psalm 18. He says, I love you, O Jehovah, my strength. Jehovah is my crag. Now, we may wonder what a crag is. Maybe we just read over that. Uh, it's an obscure word, crag. Anyway, a crag is a steep, rugged, massive rock projecting upward or outward for your shelter. So it's a steep, rugged, massive rock projecting outward for your shelter. So he's our strength, he's our crag, he's our fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high retreat. Now for the CF, after Psalm 18, 1 and 2, uh, brothers and sisters, that should be Genesis 15, 1, not Genesis 15, 7. It should be Genesis 15, 1. 
In Genesis 15, 1, the Lord told Abraham, he says, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I, I love that verse. I'm your shield from all the attacks of the enemy, and I am your exceedingly great reward. Now, B says, God is love. He is also our joy and comfort. What he is meets our every need. B says, uh, I'm sorry, C says, when we touch him, we have guidance and direction. And we have a way to go on. We can be led by the Spirit of God and take God's presence as the map for our traveling. You know, when we consider what we should do or where we, where we should go, we need to take God's presence as the map for our traveling. Roman number 8 says, Fruit bearing is to enjoy the Lord. A says, Although the branches of a fruit bearing tree may bear much fruit, none of the fruit is the result of the work of the branches. The branches simply absorb the sap, the riches of the tree, and fruit is produced and grows. B says, being branches of the divine vine and bearing fruit to express the divine life are matters of joy, and they also issue in a joyful life. C says, Philippians, which was a prison epistle, is concerned with the experience and enjoyment of Christ, which issues in joy in order to live Christ for his magnification to those around us. It is a book filled with joy and rejoicing. So all these verses from Philippians listed here are verses of joy and rejoicing. And he wrote this from prison. It's very significant that he wrote this from prison. It's a book filled with joy and rejoicing. Now Roman numeral 9 says prayer is to enjoy the Lord. If we want to enjoy the Lord, we should turn to our inner being because he is within us. B says the best prayer is one that absorbs the Lord. We are rooted in the Lord as our good land, and we need to sink our roots deep into him to absorb him. One says, prayer has nothing to do with how many words we utter. It is a matter of finding a quiet time to turn our busy heart to the inner chamber in order to fellowship with God and to absorb his very being in our spirit. Two says, in this way, God abides in us and he becomes our all. We can then realize that he is everything to us and that he is the answer to whatever we need. This is the meaning of being a Christian. C says, we need to allow adequate time for prayer, which will enable us to absorb more of the riches of Christ as the all-inclusive land. Saints, allow adequate time to fellowship with the Lord, especially in the morning. Make sure you allow adequate time to have a personal time with Him. And uh, probably Ricky Acosta told you this when he was here, but I would say it again. When you have a time with the Lord, turn off your cell phone. Turn off your cell phone. Now, Ruthie told me that one brother said, but I have morning revival on my cell phone. I have all my verses on my cell phone. Well, there's a way with a cell phone, right, to put it on, what, what is it? Oh, airplane mode. Put it on airplane mode. Not, not only put it on airplane mode, cover it up. Cover it up. 
You know, they've found studies that shows that you get so addicted to your cell phone, even looking at it draws you to it. It's terrible. The best thing is to put it on airplane mode and put it in another room. Spend time with the Lord. Now, just think if you were, you know, visiting the Queen of England and, 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 and you were having a conversation with her. And all of a sudden, your cell phone rang. And you said, oh, Queen, wait a second, I've got a phone call. I mean, she'd kick you out of Buckingham Palace. I mean, what are you doing? Queen, please wait. Please wait. I've got a, I've got a phone call. What about God? Uh, we get on the cell phone, we say, I'm talking with God right now. Can you hurry up, please? Uh, we shouldn't even take the call, right? Don't take the call. Treasure that time with the Lord. Treasure that time with the Lord. Allow adequate time to spend with the Lord. You just consider, you don't have to raise your hand, how many times we've got distracted by our iPhones. I used the word iPhone, sorry, I'm low tech. iPhones. We got distracted by our iPhones. Just by it sitting there. Just by it sitting there. We shouldn't be distracted by anything when we spend time with the Lord. We're spending time with God. With God. He's above the queen, right? You know that, right? I say the queen because I don't know how you feel about the president. So at least I know you feel good about the queen. Okay. Okay, now let's come to C1. We need to take time to absorb the Lord, contacting him in a definite and prevailing way. Do we contact him in a prevailing way every day? In a definite way? In a prevailing way? We should contact him in a prevailing way, day by day. You know, after he fed the 5,000, there was 5,000 men. Now, that didn't include the women and children. I would have said, wow, let's have another meeting and just share have testimonies about how this happened. You know, I would have just basked, B-A-S-K-E-D, in what had happened. But the Lord didn't do that. It says he immediately, immediately, he compelled the disciples to step into the boat and go before him to the other side, and he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain privately to pray, and when night fell... He was there alone. Now, the note points out that the reason why he sent the crowds away immediately and he sent the disciples away in the boat, you know, right away, uh, was that he wanted more time to pray privately to the Father so that he could be one with the Father in whatever he did to establish the kingdom of the heavens on this earth. Now, if he wanted more time, how about us? Don't we need more time? Do we need to enjoy the Lord more? We need to enjoy the Lord more. None of us are exempt from this. Okay, 2 says, To meet with God in the morning is not only to meet with Him early in the day, it is also to meet with God in a situation that is full of light. We should go to God alone without any persons, matters, or things, or iPhones to distract or occupy us. I added iPhones there, sorry. When we pray, that, that's included in things, right? Now, three, when we pray, coming forward to the throne of grace, grace will become a river flowing in us 
and supplying us. Grace is God in Christ as the Spirit for our enjoyment. The very last verse in the Bible, so you won't forget this. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. In other words, the enjoyment of God be with all the saints. Amen. Now, D says, in order to fight on God's side against Satan, we need to persevere in prayer. And it says, persevere in prayer, watching in it with thanksgiving. Now, it says watching. Watching, watching means don't sleep. In, in the Greek language, it means don't sleep. Stay awake. Stay alert. And the sleep isn't just physical sleep. It could be psychological sleep, where your attention is absent. It could be spiritual sleep, where your perception is dormant, right? Like, uh, I was in a training meeting not long ago, and one brother, he was looking at me, and I shared these three points I was really burdened about. I could share them right now. They're just so precious. I shared these three points with the trainees, and this brother was looking at me like this. I said, brother, what did I just share? He said, I don't know, brother Ed. I was daydreaming. I was there. He was looking at me the whole time. <laughs> and I knew, I knew he was not there. I knew he was not there. And so he's a dear brother. He's a dear brother. All of you know him. Anyway, I said, okay, brother. Uh, next week, you make sure you get these three points. Now, I'm going to share them again. Now, pay attention. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. Pay attention and get these three points. So I shared them. And then I shared them, and he said, I said, did you get them? He said, I think so. I said, well, if you, if you doubt, get the notes from some other trainee and fellowship with them and come next week and be prepared to share them. And he, anyway, he got them. He got them. But he wasn't watching. You see what I mean? He was... <laughs> we, can, we can all do that, right? Okay, one says, as those who take sides with God, we find that the whole fallen universe is against us, and in particular against our prayer. Resistance to prayer lies not only outside of us, but even within us. Two says, to pray is to go against the current, the trend in the fallen universe. E says, we need to set aside definite times for prayer. Our attitude should be that prayer is our most important business and that nothing should be allowed to interfere with it. F says we need to remain in an atmosphere of prayer by continually exercising our spirit. One says we need to pray without ceasing, to persevere in prayer, keeping ourselves intimately connected to the Lord. I like to, even in the smallest details... We need to inquire of the Lord. To do this is to persevere in prayer and thereby to live Christ. Even in the smallest details, we need to inquire of the Lord. That's why Psalm Philippians 4, sorry, Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says, And nothing be anxious, but in everything. It says, In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every man's understanding, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. So, um, Brelly made this statement. He says, we need to talk to the Lord constantly. He said, those who don't know this secret consider living Christ to be a difficult thing. Actually, if we would speak to the Lord constantly, spontaneously, 
we will live Christ spontaneously. Now, Roman numeral 10 says, ministering the word and preaching the gospel are to enjoy the Lord. To minister God's word and to preach the gospel to others are to fulfill the stewardship of the grace of God, which is God in Christ as the spirit for our enjoyment. B says, the first prerequisite for ministering God's word and preaching the gospel is to love the Lord to the uttermost. C says, we will continue steadfastly in prayer and in the ministry of the word. To pray is not only to entreat the Lord to do things for his move, but also to cause our spirit to be exercised and strengthened. Hence, prayer should precede the ministry of the word, just as the apostles practiced. Without such prayer, the ministry of the word will not be enlivened and empowered. D says, to minister the word and to preach the gospel, we must inhale God's word by prayer and exhale God's word into others by prophesying. This is the essence of praying, studying, reciting, and prophesying. This is P-S-R-P. Praying, studying, reciting, and prophesying. The problem is, you know, I told some of the saints, the problem is when we, when we talk about PSRP, the first P is very small in our experience. It's PSRP. You know what I mean? We just, we study, we recite, we prophesy. Especially in the Far East, they, they, the way they study is by memorizing. And there's no problem with memorizing. But Brother made this statement one time, one time, I'll never forget. He said, we study the Bible by pray reading the Bible. So you pray read, then you study, and spontaneously you recite, and spontaneously you flow out and prophesy. You flow out and prophesy. Now he says, if we want to preach the gospel, we should first spend half an hour or an hour contacting the Lord. Now I said half an hour, I put half an hour here, because in a booklet, we have a book called A Time with the Lord, and it says in there we should spend a half hour with the Lord. We like to, we like to pick out Brother Lee's fellowship, because I know Brother Lee's fellowship, spend 10 minutes with the Lord. Or he said, spend 15 minutes with the Lord. Spend 20 minutes with the Lord. Spend 30 minutes with the Lord. Spend 45 minutes with the Lord, and spend an hour with the Lord. He shared all these points. We like to pick out the lowest denominator. Spend 10 minutes. Oh, five minutes. I can spend five minutes. We should say, Lord, increase my personal time with you, Lord. For the building up of the church, not for my personal spirituality. But in a time with the Lord, he mentions a half an hour. Now one says, after absorbing the Lord and being filled with him, we will not be the ones speaking when we contact people. Rather, the Lord, the Lord whom we have absorbed, will be the one who is speaking through us. The words that we speak will be the very Lord whom we have absorbed, and it will be impossible for people not to be blessed. Roman number 11 says, receiving leading is to enjoy the Lord. In order to receive the Lord's leading, we should forget about everything and simply contact the Lord, absorb Him, and enjoy Him. As we absorb him and enjoy him, we will have his presence, which is his leading. As long as we do not have his presence, we do not have his leading. Just as the pillar of cloud and of fire with God's presence led the children of Israel, 
the Spirit of the Lord as the presence of God leads us to run the Christian race. C says, everything depends upon whether we have God's presence. With his presence, everything is right. Without his presence, everything is wrong. Finally, Roman numeral 12, the secret of the Christian life for the church life is to enjoy the Lord. God's only desire is to give himself to us to be our enjoyment. B says, the secret of the Christian life is not how much we do for him or how much we work for him, but how much we enjoy him. We must learn this secret. Let's declare this together. And finally, C says, no matter what our circumstances are, we should simply behold the beauty of the Lord and enjoy and absorb him again and again. If we do this, we will be filled with God and our face will shine. We will be full of the Lord's presence. What a glory this will be. Isn't that wonderful, saints? This is the Lord's desire for us to enjoy him for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. Okay, let's, uh, how should we do this? Uh, let's stand up and say praise the Lord three times. And whoever can stand, okay? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, very good. Now, Jim, did you, oh, let me get this out of here, Jim. Brothers and sisters, um, we have a half an hour left, and we hope...